Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, we want to tell you how much we adore you, how much we love your presence. Lord, we're like Moses in so many ways. You've given us all these great and wonderful promises, but if your presence doesn't go with us, what distinguishes us from all other peoples upon the earth? It's your presence, O God. And so today, we give you praise and honor. We lift your name higher. Lord, we want to say to you, we long for you in this day in which there's so much upheaval, there's so much uproar around us. There's hatred and anger. There's resentment. There's bitterness. We desperately need a move of your Spirit. Father, the thing that will settle things in this earth is if you come once again in power. You've done it before, Father. We're like the prophet. We say, we've heard, O God, of your fame. Your name has been spoken of for generations. But Father, today we long that you would move once again. That you would come in your glory. That you would manifest your presence in all the earth. And that peace would reign. You said the government will rest upon your shoulders. Not the United States of America or any other nation, but upon your shoulders. Would you not come once again, Father, and let your name, your fame, let your glory be seen. You said as surely as the waters cover the earth, the knowledge of your glory, not just your glory, but the knowledge that people would know your glory would cover all the earth. Come, Father, we pray. Let your glory be seen among us, your people. But let it overflow into the streets, I pray, Father. And this Pentecost Sunday, let it be as it was. I can remember back on Father's Day in 1994 when you began to turn the tide in this place. Lord, would you not do it again? On Pentecost Sunday, pour out your Spirit, we pray. In the name of Christ, we ask it. Amen. And amen. Amen. Well, I want to, again, thank you for joining us. We're so grateful that you're with us today, joining us in worship songs and in worship and hearing the Word uh, I wanted to briefly, before we begin, just ask for your prayers for the leadership team here at Family Life Church. As all of you are so aware, this has been a difficult time. Uh, we obviously didn't need anyone to tell us that we, the church, are essential. We are the body of Christ, and we know that we're essential for all of the earth because we are the salt and light of God and of His glory. But knowing that things are in such upheaval in our land, but even in terms of the guidelines that are around us, we're asking You, Lord, and we're asking You, the people of God, to pray for us that we would know the wisdom of God as to the time for reopening our sanctuary for us to gather together. 
So I'm sincerely asking you. I know there's all kinds of opinions. There's all kinds of views and perspectives. But what we need is clarity from the Lord. So would you pray with us and for us that we would know the mind of God. Now I can tell, obviously, uh, as some of you would hopefully know at this point in time, that things are going to be a little bit different today. Uh, We are actually going to be doing things in a way uh, kind of like a panel, but not necessarily sharing each one off of one another, but each of us sharing something. Uh, We felt back in 2019 that we were to have a series in 2020 entitled Relationships 101, The Ten Commandments of God. And the idea was this, that if we could find out how to do life God's way, it would go better for us. And so today, we are actually going to recap what we have done over all of these weeks. It was interrupted by the pandemic, so what was supposed to take a limited period of time, here we are on the last Sunday of May finishing it. But we believe that a kind of a a recap of this would be helpful for all of you. And the way that we've looked at these Ten Commandments and relationships is that these are guidelines that God gave us. Now, we've heard so much from our president, from our governor, from the CDC, from our own health department here in our county about the guidelines that we need for how we live together. Well, the Ten Commandments are God's guidelines for how we're to do life together. And so as we go over this today, I want you to recognize these were not intended by God to be like onerous. They're they're not intended to be heavy-handed. They're God's way of saying that if you will do life this way, then life will go better for you. So I'm going to ask as we go through this that uh, you would recognize that we're taking turns sharing on each commandment. We're going to work right through one commandment right after another and that you would follow along with us. So we started back on the first Sunday of February discussing the very first commandment, which is Exodus 20 verse 3. And it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, what does it mean to have no other gods? I thought there was only one God. And you're right, there is only one God. But if you look at the scripture, you'll notice that the word gods is small g, gods. Not big g, God. It's small g. And a god is anything that dominates or seeks to control or influence your life. So a small g God could be your career or your job. It could be your marriage. It could be your family. It certainly could be your finances, uh, your hobbies, your toys, whether they be little or big. All of those can be things that seek to influence and actually run your life. And God starts here with this as the first commandment, knowing that this is the foundation of it all. And if your foundation is shaky or even wrong, then the rest of your life will be shaky and wrong. So, what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that gods are the things that influence your life. So how does that impact us on a day-by-day basis? Well, I would suggest that what God's asking of us is that we put God first in all things. And so my question to you this morning is, what does it mean to put God first? Proverbs 3, 6 says, in everything you do, in every 
everything you do, in everything you say, put God first. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Jesus repeated this idea when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will take care of themselves. So, in everything, in our marriages, in our families, with our children, in our workplace, in our finances, in our scheduling of our time, what we give ourselves to, in all of it, we are expected to put God first. First means having priority and preeminence. So my question to you this morning, as we have just recapped the first commandment, is, is God first in your life? And is that something that those around you would be aware of by how you live and how you speak? Is God first in your life? The second commandment is do not make any carved images in the likeness of anything in heaven or on earth or anything else. But this commandment, obviously, is not about not carving things. This commandment is about worship and what the people worshiped. The Israelites in that day were tempted to make idols of gods as the nations around them would have done. And these gods could have been things that they saw, parts of nature, or they could have been other things that they believed in. But they made these idols, and they worshipped these idols, believing that it would bring them power or success or favor. <clears throat> and uh, you and I may not be tempted in the same way to make idols and to worship idols like that. But there's a definition that we discussed that I think is really helpful, and it's this. An idol is anything that takes your focus off of God. And that could be anything. Um, almost like Pastor Chris shared a moment ago, it could be um, a marriage, or it could be a job, a career. It could be a nice house or, or other, other possessions. Anything that takes our focus off of God. And the commandment that he gave the Israelites was not to make any carved images. Um, but I think a way for us to think about that is we don't make carved images, but we make mental images of what we think is going to be successful or, or what we think is going to make us powerful or make us, uh, you know, financially secure. And maybe there's even people we look up to. Well, that businessman is, is, uh, is uh, someone I look up to or that musician or whoever it might be. And we idolize those people. So we need to ask ourselves, what am I focused on? What is my heart focused on? Is there anything other than God that I'm focused on? And I think a good way to think about this is ask yourself, what do I daydream about? You know, when I'm, when I'm not doing anything particularly important or, or maybe I'm driving or doing something else and my mind starts to wander, what do I think about? What other things do I kind of wish for or hope for? Not that I'm against daydreaming. You know, I enjoy daydreaming as much as anyone else. But we should think about what are those things I daydream about and why? Is there something that's taking my focus? And so our hearts tend to wander, our minds tend to wander. And so I would challenge us to create moments to reset our focus. An easy one would be first thing in the morning uh, or maybe last thing you do at night and say, God, I'm focusing myself on you. The third commandment is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. 
Uh, the heart of this commandment is to value that which is valuable. Um, sometimes my kids like to rollerblade <coughs> in our driveway, and uh, in order to make it a little safer for them, I'll try and take a leaf blower and blow all the little pebbles out of the driveway because if I don't do that, they could very easily hit a pebble and then they'd face plant and that wouldn't be good. So uh, I try and take a leaf blower and just blow the pebbles out of the driveway. And when I do that, I don't really do it with a whole lot of care. I just blow the pebbles wherever they go because they're not valuable. They're not significant at all. But how many of you know that if April lost her the diamond from her engagement ring in our driveway, I would not go looking for it with a leaf blower. I'd get the whole family out there and we'd be crawling around looking for it. In fact, I can remember one time here at church, one of the ladies of the church lost her engagement ring, the diamond from her engagement ring in the kitchen. And everybody was looking all around in the kitchen trying to find this diamond because it's so much more valuable. So we need to treat that which is valuable as valuable. Um, I'd like to uh, challenge us a little bit in regards to this in honoring the name of the Lord. Um, we live in a culture that treats the name of the Lord in a really cavalier way. We don't really, our culture doesn't honor the name of the Lord and they use his name really, really flippantly. I think a lot of times that has crept into our lives. We find ourselves saying things like, oh my God, or how many times do we send a text or comment on something and type OMG. And I don't think when we do that, we're in any way like intentionally trying to dishonor the name of the Lord. But in actuality, that's what we're doing. We're treating his name lightly. We're not treating his name as holy. And uh, so I'd like to challenge us this morning in the way that we do that. When we do that, we, um, we're, we're showing a lack of awareness of God in our life when we use his name in that way. It's like we're living our lives apart from him. But if we were in communion with God, if we were in close relationship to him, we wouldn't use his name in that way. We would treat him as holy and reverent. And um, one of the things that I, that I noticed was we're, we're God's children. So he's brought us into his family and he's made us his children, which means we have special access to him as our father. So we can call on his name and ask him to save us. But if we just use his name in an irreverent way, we lose that ability to call on his name in the reverent way. The fourth commandment is Exodus 20 and verse 8, and it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The word Sabbath is an old word, but it simply means, it speaks to the idea of ceasing from striving. It speaks to rest. And contrary to what we were often taught as kids growing up, we're not machines. We're not animals. That if we get every single thing perfect, then we could go forever on less sleep and less rest. God says, no, you're made in his image. And man's first day upon this planet started with rest, God's seventh day. And God provided that man would have one day a week, at least one day a week, which would be set aside for recuperative rest, that you could have like a recharging of your batteries, as it were. And when I spoke on this, I said, really, the Sabbath comes down to four things. It's first ceasing, cease from our labor. Cease from striving to prove yourself and to get ahead, to enter into the rat race of this world. The second thing was resting in God's finished work, that you're secure in Him no matter what. 
The third part of it was embracing. We are made for connections. Someone recently posted on Facebook and it said this, sheep become agitated if they're separated from the rest of the flock. And I want to say I agree with that 100%. And this has been a very challenging time because we're accustomed to just getting together on Sundays. But during this time, we've had to find different and unique ways of connecting with one another. So I want to encourage you to find ways to connect with people during this time by phone, by internet, uh, Facebook, uh, FaceTime. Find ways to make connection. Let people know you're thinking about them and you're praying for them. And then the fourth thing was feasting. And I can, I can assure you, there will come a time when we will gather back together again by, for what the old saint called the festivity of weekly eschatological parties. We're going to get together again. We're going to have a time of celebration where we can all worship God wholeheartedly with our full voice in the presence of one another. But there's also going to come a time when we're going to, again, be able to sit down for meals together, to be able to enjoy that kind of time together as a family in God. Someone once said, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. And I think that's the heart of what this commandment's about. It's learning to work from rest instead of just resting from work. And that's the fourth commandment. The fifth commandment is to honor your father and mother. And when I uh, preached a message on honoring our father and mother, I said that this is the only commandment that comes with the promise. And the promise is that if we will honor our father and mother, we will live a long life and it will go well with us. Um, I think this is a really practical thing. Um, for children, their first relationship is with their parents. And you could imagine that uh, with parents is the place where children learn to obey and they learn to honor their father and mother. And you can see that if a child can learn to honor their father and mother, very likely it's going to go well with them in their life. And if a child can't learn to honor their father and mother, life is going to be really hard and it's going to be challenging for them. You could imagine what life would be like for a teacher who has a child in their class who learned to honor their father and mother. If the child learned to honor their father and mother, things are going to go smoothly. It's probably going to be a good student who's going to respond well to the teacher. And conversely, if it's a child who didn't learn to honor their father and mother, it's going to be a real challenge for the teacher and it's not going to go well. You could imagine what life is going to be like for a child that learns to honor their father and mother when they get their first job. When a child gets their first job, if they've learned to honor their father and mother, it's probably not going to be that big of a challenge for that child to honor their boss and do what the boss asks of them. But if that child never learned that, that job is probably going to be short-lived. So I'd like to challenge us this morning to honor our father and mother and to, to not be afraid to teach our children to honor their father and mother so that life can go well for them. The sixth commandment is Exodus 20, 13. And it says, you shall not kill. But as we looked when we went over this particular commandment, it seems like it's more correct to say, you shall not murder. God's word reminds us that every single person upon this planet is created in his image and worthy of honor and respect. Regardless of what they've been able to do in terms of their performance, or what they have actually produced or created, they are worthy of honor. 
And this commandment isn't just about killing someone physically, but Jesus took it to another level when he said, this all begins in the heart where there's resentment and there's anger and there's bitterness and there's prejudice and discrimination. I mean, at all times with, with the death of George Floyd, this is a time that has shown us again and again how this stuff brews inside of the heart. Martin Luther King said, darkness can't dispel light. Or darkness can't dispel darkness. Only light can. And hate can't dispel hate. Only love can. And that's really the heart of what Jesus is saying here. Is that it starts in the heart. Where's your heart at? I entitled the message, The Murder in Me, because I wanted to remind us that all of us are capable of having murder in our heart. When we have anger issues. Jesus said, if you've been angry, you've already kind of committed murder in your own heart. And he challenged us about how we are to relate to people. The simple solution that he gives is to love. In fact, later on, Paul would put it this way, speaking the truth in love. It's not enough just to speak the truth. And I hear a lot of that these days. People angrily pronouncing the truth. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. But that's not what Jesus said nor what is intended in this commandment. It's to speak the truth in love. Truth without love is just an attack. And love without truth is just weak and pathetic. We need both. So I want to encourage you today as we're looking at this particular commandment, from the poorest to the richest, from the weakest to the most powerful, we are called to demonstrate love in every way to every person, whether it be face-to-face or on Facebook. We're called to love. And my, my question to you this morning, are you demonstrating love during this season? If people were to read your Facebook posts, would they say that you're demonstrating love? If people were to listen to some of your rhetoric, would they say that you are speaking the truth in love. Commandment number seven is you shall not commit adultery. Now this commandment is about being faithful in our marital relationships. I think the deeper thing that this commandment is getting at is our character. Who are we when nobody is looking? Who are we behind closed doors? It's about being a person who is faithful to keep our word and to keep our vows. I'd like us to remember that God gave these commandments to the children of Israel who had come out of slavery. And so he was giving them these commandments as a way to set up their community, as a way to learn how to live together. And so if we look at the world around us, we can so clearly see the devastating effects of adultery in our society. So many broken families, so many broken relationships, So when we look at this commandment and any of the commandments, it's easy to feel like God is just giving us a rule that we have to follow. But really, he's trying to stop us from hurting ourselves. He's trying to stop us from hurting our families. He's trying to stop us from hurting those around us. So what are you doing in your life that's protecting your marriage? What what boundaries are you setting up to keep this commandment? Number eight um, is simple, you shall not steal. And this is a simple lesson. Hopefully most kids already know this. If it's not yours, don't take it.
Sorry about that. The Eighth Commandment is you shall not steal. And this is pretty simple. Basically, if it's not yours, don't touch it. It's something we learned as kids. Hopefully, all the kids who are listening already know this lesson. Stealing is anytime you take from somebody else. And this can be secretly. No one knows what you took. Um, it could be openly and forcefully. Stealing could also be fraudulently or manipulatively when, you, when you, you do something else to take from someone else. And stealing can even be carelessly when you're just not careful with somebody else's money or their possessions and you inadvertently take something that's not yours. But here's the important thing we need to know. When we honor and respect other people and their possessions, we show honor and respect for God because that's his commandment to us is to love people and to respect their, their possessions. So we need to be careful with other people's stuff, whether that's we're borrowing something from a friend and we need to remember to take care of it and return it, or whether that is um, maybe you handle money in your job for your company and it's a customer's money or, or a company's money, and you need to be very, very careful with all those things because God will hold you accountable for that. We also need to be very honest in all of our transactions, um, whether you're at the grocery store buying donuts, don't steal a donut, or whether you're, you know, reporting your taxes and, or w whatever it might be. We need to be very honest and very upright in, uh, in all of our transactions. Integrity is when you do the right thing when nobody else can see, and that's, that's very important. Um, and more than that, we need to let our relationships be characterized by generosity. The ninth commandment is Exodus 20:16, and it says, you shall not lie. Uh, when I spoke on this, we talked about several different kinds of lies. I think it was St. Augustine denoted eight different kinds of lies, and Mark Twain was something like 869 kinds of lies. I don't know. He's not around to ask, but my suspicion is that he actually made up that number and he lied about that number. But the idea is this. When I looked at it, I looked at, I believe it was just um, five different kinds of lies. But I'd like to narrow it down to lies that we tell to kind of protect ourselves. To either protect ourselves against the onslaught or the attack of others, or lies that we tell to make ourselves look bigger and better because we don't feel it in ourselves. Contrary to what Stuart Smalley said in that skit on Saturday Night Live, we don't usually feel good enough, smart enough, or that people really like us for who we are. We lie to make ourselves look bigger and better. It's like when we deal with people, we wear these masks because we don't want people to see the real us because we think if they ever saw what we were really like inside, they could never love us. But the amazing thing here is that God who knows everything about us to our deepest core issues, still loves us and says that we are worthy of love. We're worthy of honor. The solution isn't to wear a muzzle. The solution is to invite Jesus into our hearts to give us a new heart and a new spirit. And so my question to you this morning is not whether or not you have a problem with lying, because I think if we're honest, all of us struggle with this at one time or another in our lives. Maybe somebody asks us, you know, maybe it's your spouse, how do I look? And of course, if you're a smart husband, you're going to say, oh, you look great. Even though you might not think that, you've learned. 
well, maybe there's another way to tell the truth. Uh, you know, for myself, I, I've gotten to the point where I try to tell the truth to my wife about even those kinds of things, but do it in a kind, loving way. So it might be instead of, no, that dress looks ugly. And we say, well, that dress doesn't bring out your beauty the way the other one does. But find a way to tell the truth, but do it in a loving, tactful way and not be cruel or mean. So again, my question is, not whether or not you have had any times when you've lied, but are you allowing God to come into your heart and to change you from the inside out that you can speak the truth? And remember, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. So let's speak Jesus' way. The final commandment, uh, last but not least, is you shall not covet. Covet is uh, the need to have, as, as Pastor Chris defined it. It's the desire to have something. It's desire that we treat like it's a need, like something that we absolutely have to get. Um, but the truth is, truly, there are few things that we really need. And our God is so faithful to provide the things that we really need. So a lot of our coveting is for things that we simply desire. Covetousness is a cancer, and it will either make you greedy to get what you want, or it'll make you pity yourself because you don't have what you want. But either way, it's going to make you a miserable person. Fortunately, there's a cure for this cancer, and the cure for covetousness is contentment. It's learning to be happy. It's a decision to be happy with whatever God gave you and to be content with that and to be grateful for what you have. The other day, I, um, I went to mow my grass and I had a problem with my ride-on mower. And so I had to climb under there and try to fix something that wasn't working on the mower. And at first I was all, and then I stopped and thought, you know, thank God that I have a ride-on mower that's broken and I need to fix. It could be a push-behind mower. It could be no mower. And so thank, thank God that I have something. Um, and so I want to challenge you, the next time you find yourself thinking or saying, gee, I wish I had, to stop and say, you know, I'm glad that I do have. And, and finally, we need to be grateful for what we have. We need to be generous with what we have towards other people because that's how God made us. Well, this has been great, and I'm glad to know that Ben will lend me his riding lawnmower now so I don't have to use a push mower because he's so generous. Uh, I loved getting to hear the other guys' uh, perspectives on these commandments. And the idea as a whole is that we actually learn to live God's way and things will go better for us. I want to end with just two simple things. The first is, uh, this past week, uh, Pastor John and Ben went out and visited some folks and prayed with them and encouraged them. And they're looking to do that again this week. And so if you would specifically like a visit, please contact one or the other of them, and they will set up a time and a place to do that uh, at your house, most likely. But uh, I encourage you to let them know. The last thing I want to do today is, with all that's going on with the death of George Floyd and the upheaval in our land, uh, I want us to just be very, very clear Prejudice and discrimination, that kind of hatred, that kind of evil, has no place in the heart of a believer of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, 
We need to have his heart who embraced all people. Even people that society scorned and treated as the lowest levels, he readily embraced. And that needs to be our heart. Uh, I was reading a scripture this morning out of Revelation 7. And it says this, After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I long for the day when, as Martin Luther King said, that we're going to see righteousness, acceptance, love flow like a river through our land. And that all people will be embraced and accepted as valuable to God and to us. So would you join with me as I pray specifically along that lines as we close our service? Our Father, and even in saying that, we say our Father, not mine. Yes, you are my Father, but you're also our Father. We belong to you and we belong to one another. We are ultimately one people in you. The Father of all creation, our Father. We come to you today and we're asking you, O oh God, to let peace flow in our streets. Lord, I, I understand in ways that probably are, are so real to those around me that I can't grasp all that's going on because I haven't lived as so many others have lived with the prejudice they experience daily, the, the daily fear of even walking the streets with their dogs or their children of being able to feel safe in their own neighborhoods. I haven't experienced all of that. But I do know this, Jesus. The answer is you. Years ago, Andre Crouch sang, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Well, a lot of times we don't even know the question, but you're still the answer. And so I'm asking you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to speak shalom, peace over all of the nations. Not just a cessation from struggle, but true peace in the heart. And I'm asking you, God, to make us, the people of God, a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. It's easy to espouse all kinds of ideas and to spew out stuff quickly without really giving thought. But Lord, help us in this time to be peacemakers and to readily accept and honor the image of God in every single person, regardless of their race, their gender, their color. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we honor all. So, Father, we're asking for peace in our land at this time and peace in the heart of your people as well during this tempestuous time with the pandemic and now with what's going on, we're asking for peace, that we would receive peace and be purveyors of peace. That's our desire. And we pray, God, your grace, your love, and your peace overall. In the name of Christ, amen.
Again, thank you for joining us today and have a blessed rest of your day.